that I'm recording this podcast, but I don't have a pocket. So if this slips through my skirt, it's going to be an embarrassing moment, and you're all going to witness it. <laughs> wow, you guys have such a great group of people here. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I guess let's just get into it. Um, I'm really excited you guys are having my brother speak here next year. Um, I would love to come and just introduce him with, maybe I can just let you know, Chris, some embarrassing stories about him. <laughs> um, but no, I love my brother, and to be honest, he's actually the reason, um, yeah, I've given my life to the Lord. Um, and I always joke with him, though, because when I was really younger, like five or six, um, my mum would bring me to Mass and, you know, be all in my little dress, and people sitting in front of me would be like, oh, like, isn't she cute? And apparently, like, to the people behind me, I was, like, giving the finger to them. <laughs> and I'm like, Matt, you're the one who taught me how to do that, so. <laughs> I think when I got a bit older into high school, um, I, really, I really did dread mass. I just I didn't understand it. Um, as Chris was saying, by the time I hit year nine, I just I decided that God probably wasn't real. And I started labelling myself an atheist. So you can imagine mum dragging me to mass on a Sunday and... Um, the school making me go another day in the week. <laughs> I just couldn't understand it. I found it very boring. I just kind of figured if I couldn't hear God or see God, he just mustn't be real. And it was through my brother really um, sitting down and talking with me, um, really challenging me. Um, his main thing that he said to me was, Emma, if you want to know if God is real or not, why don't you try really praying to him and not just, you know, when you're dragged somewhere, or when you say grace, or when you're forced to do it, but finding your own space um, and just saying your own prayer to God, telling Him what you need and what you want. And ultimately, my prayer was, God, if you're real, show yourself to me. And, yeah, to cut a long story short, um, the Lord answered my prayer. <laughs> um, it just revealed Himself to me in a way that I could not deny. Um, and that was about ten years ago now. Praise the Lord. So, um, most of what I'll be talking about this evening um, is from my old spiritual director, um, Father Scott McKay, who actually is a bishop now um, in Canada. And he just really spoke so passionately um, about the Eucharist um, and just opened my eyes to so many insights about the Mass. So, if you hear anything that you uh, learn tonight or that you're impressed by, it's probably, it came straight from his mouth. So. Um, thank you, Lord, for good priests. So the name of my talk is, um, Are You Hungry Yet? And I think that's what I really want to kind of inspire tonight. Not just in you, but in myself. Um, are we hungry for God? Um, you guys just totally ate, so you're all full, but like... <laughs> do we have that spiritual hunger and yearning for God? I'm sure you've heard it said before that the Eucharist is the source and summit um, of the Christian life. And if we understand what the church means by these terms, um, we'll, we'll be filled with what John Paul II calls Eucharistic amazement. If you're not amazed by the Eucharist, you don't understand the Eucharist. To understand what God is doing in our midst is to be amazed, and it never grows old. We never get tired of it. So it's the summit. It's the highest, most important prayer that a Christian can pray. One time, Father Scott shared with me, um, you know, you could go and convert all of Islam, but it wouldn't compare 
to attending one mass with love and devotion. He said, you could raise the dead and it wouldn't come close to what is happening at the mass when we have that union with Christ. So God is doing something in our midst at every mass. He is representing the death and resurrection of Jesus, making it present here and now so that we can be just as present as were Mary, the mother of God, as were the disciples. We are just as present to the resurrection as Mary Magdalene, um, as Thomas who put his fingers in the side um, and hands of Jesus. In fact, because God is representing the death and resurrection, they have no advantage over you and I when we attend the Holy Mass. All the grace and mercy that was poured out on them thousands of years ago is available to us at your local Catholic church. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, man. Hungry. <laughs> John Paul II says that the death and resurrection of Jesus at every Mass that has ever been or ever will be is in fact one sacrifice. So it's this one event, this same sacrifice. And if you watch The Passion of the Christ, um, you'll notice in those scenes where Jesus is being scourged um, and he's carrying the cross and lifts it up, you know, it refers back to the Last Supper when he's breaking bread with his disciples. It's really good theology in this film. We're reliving those mysteries at the Mass. So if that's what God is accomplishing, how does it happen? Jesus lives forever to make intercession for you and I. So right now, the Son of God is standing before the throne of God the Father with your name on his lips. He is interceding for you before the Father and he's doing more than interceding. He's offering the Father something on your behalf, on our behalf. And that is the sacrifice of himself. Revelations, it tells us, you know, Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, risen again, standing before the throne of God, and all the angels are crying out, holy, 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 and it ends with a great amen. So this is the liturgy of heaven. It's going on right now, every moment, 24-7, for all eternity. So yes, Jesus died once and rose once, but it's this one sacrifice. It's an eternal sacrifice. Forever he lives to make intercession for us. And yeah, Revelations... A lot of it goes over my head, but um, <laughs> how it explains to me, you know, it, it really um, it's, it shows us this awesome mystery. So one seraphim, um, which is a particular kind of angel, seraphim translates a burning one, so they're the ones most close to the throne of God. We're told by St. Thomas of Aquinas and Teresa of Avila that one of those angels is more powerful than all the forces of the cosmos put together. And unless by a special grace from God, if you saw one, you would think that it was God. <laughs> That's why in the book of Revelation, whenever an angel appears to someone, people do a face plant and they're like, oh my gosh, but they're like, no, get up. <laughs> they say, I'm only a servant like you. And to say something is holy, it means it's you know, separate, beyond, other. Um, in traditional Hebrew, they don't have any adjectives, so... If I was to stand in front of a bomb crater, I could say it was a pit. If I was to stand in front of the Grand Canyon, I'd say it was a pit pit. <laughs> like to say something three times means infinite. And that's what we mean. That's why we say holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, separate, other, beyond. 
every single moment in heaven, this is what's going on. These angels are crying out with love and awe um, to God. Every moment, a new revelation of his power and his majesty is fulfilling their being, such that if they had hearts, they would explode. And this is an awesome reality. And we're told there's not just one seraphim or two seraphim, but that there's 10,000 times 10,000. In other words, an uncountable amount. And this is the liturgy of heaven. It's going on right now, and it will never cease. And it's happening at every Mass. Hey, It doesn't matter if it's the High Mass at St. Peter's um, or a priest in prison in Vietnam with a spot of wine and a crumb of bread hushing the words in the middle of the night. It's the same Mass. God wants us to want him. Isn't that beautiful? God wants you to want him. Um, That's what we were made for. We were made for God. At every Mass, the veil of earth is torn open and we enter into this eternal liturgy of heaven. That's why the priest always says, we join the angels and saints. They don't come down and join us. We're, we're joining in with their liturgy. John Paul II says, the church draws her life from the Eucharist. So every grace you have ever received, your entire life, um, in a moment of temptation, um, through prayer, comes to you through the Eucharist, full stop, because it's Jesus present among us. It's that simple. Um, I, just, I heard an analogy once. Um, you know, if I if my phone died and I had my phone charger, looking around trying to find a plug to plug it in, and I couldn't find one, but I see some power lines outside, I'm like, cool. I'll just like climb them, plug it in. <laughs> um, you know, I'd just be dead immediately, and uh, my little phone charger would just be a little bubbling piece of plastic, you know. So I need something between me and this thing that's too much power, you know, a transformer, which is something that steps down the power, and to adapt it in a way, I can use it. And Father Scott once told me a sacrament is a place where God steps down his infinite power so that we can tap into his life, so that we can receive. And that's what's happening in the Mass. And that's what the Lord does. He makes himself vulnerable so that we can receive him. Um, Today at Mass, um, I was just joining the net team. Was it a retirement home or like a specific retirement home for priests? Or Yeah, cool. Um, So beautiful. Um, You know how, I'm not going to use the right language, but um, just before the Lamb of God, how usually the priests will, you know, hold up and you know, say the prayer. Um, I don't know if this was correct or not, but <laughs> they handed out. It was not correct. Um, that's okay. Mercy. <laughs> um, they handed out um, the Eucharist to each of us, and I was like in shock. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm just holding the Lord. I was just so overwhelmed. I just, I was just crying, and I was just like, oh my gosh, the Lord lets us. You know, He He lies defenseless in our hands, really although incorrect, <laughs> um, it was a powerful moment for me, you know, we can just, we can just, we can really go through the motions at Mass, can't we, you know, you walk up, step to the left, <laughs> receive and walk away, but man, there is so much grace available for us. So in the Old Testament, um, God freed his people from slavery um, and the blood of the lamb was spread on the doorposts so that the angel of death would literally pass over them and they would remain untouched. 
And when you understand the, the background, the New Testament makes sense. That's what happened on the day of Passover. God made a covenant with his people and saved them from eternal death, which is awesome. But how can we, how can we take part in that covenant? Well, he, he tells us that they took the lamb and they roasted it and you had to eat the flesh of the lamb. If you didn't eat the flesh of the lamb, you weren't a part of the covenant. I hope that's sounding familiar, you know, as the Lord says in John 6. Um, yeah, if you do not eat the flesh of the Son of Man, you do not have life within you. But if you do, I will um, be in you and I will raise you up on the last day. So when Jesus shed his body and blood on the cross, how do we take part in that covenant? We've got to eat the flesh of the Lamb, receive the Eucharist, and his life comes into you. This becomes even clearer um, in the Greek, John Obviously, Jesus is speaking in Aramaic, but John writes it in Greek. Um, and, you know, when the Lord teaches people and they misunderstand, um, what does he do? He goes back and corrects them, you know. So they don't understand the sowing of the seed, you know. He says, you know, with sun grown, good soil, etc. You know, he takes them aside and explains it. Jesus is a good teacher. But here in John, John 6.35, where he says, I'm the bread of life. Um, when people get upset, what does he do? Does he go back and say, no, no, it's, don't, you know, it's all metaphorical. There's going to be these like Jesus crackers and, um, <laughs> you know, it's just it's all metaphorical. Like when I call myself a vine or like when I call myself a door, you know. Um, no, <laughs> he does not do that. In fact, he insists. And the correct translation, he says, amen, amen, I say to you. And what that means is he's invoking um, a covenant oath. So he's, he doesn't get more solemn and serious than that. He says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you don't have life within you. And at first, when Jesus first says it, the Greek word um, is phagain, which can be translated just kind of, um, it just means to consume. So it could be understood metaphorically. But when Jesus goes back and re-explains it, he uses this Greek word um, called trogain. And it literally means to... Um, to tear, like rip flesh with your teeth, basically. It's a word that is mostly described um, when, you know, with animals um, fighting and eating other animals. You know, so when people object, he gets serious. He invokes the covenant oath. You know, unless you rip my flesh with your teeth, you do not have my life within you. But if you do, I will raise you on the last day. Can't get any more explicit than that, hey? How weird are Catholics? <laughs> you didn't know what that was, but... It makes sense, and it's beautiful, you know. Jesus makes himself edible, you know, because he wants to be in union with us. This pierces my heart. It makes me hungry. Does it make you guys hungry? Yeah. Should we just stop and go to Mass right now? <laughs> <laughs> so the Eucharist is a banquet, um, the wedding feast of the Lamb. And if this is the wedding feast, who is the bridegroom? Jesus, yeah. And us as the church, we are the bride. Um, now, the, the fathers of the church I once said this. You know, they didn't apologize or get embarrassed or blush when they said this. But they said, the bridegroom Jesus impregnates his bride with divine life. He takes her to himself in a covenant of love and he renews his covenant with her. Now, you can either think that's weird or the most beautiful thing in the world. I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world. Just like a man and a wife, when they renew their covenant through their nuptial marriage bed, it's a beautiful, holy thing, and it's God's idea. This is what's happening at every Eucharist. 
Have you ever seen sometimes when you go into a church, they have those like curtains kind of at the top around the altar? Um, it's called a velvetino. In, in Rome, I think they have a big bronze one around the altar. Um, it's a representation of a Jewish wedding tent where after they had said their vows, the groom would take the bride to the wedding tent and they would consummate their marriage. Because from the beginning, we've always understood that what happens at the Mass is God gives his love, literally. Literally impregnates us with divine life. This is going on at every Mass. For me, this, this really inspires what John Paul talks about when he says Eucharistic awe, you know, that God would want me after all my sins and stuff-ups. He doesn't get tired of giving his love and his mercy. What a relief. Like, praise God that we are loved and we have a love accessible to us that can fill us. St. Teresa of Avila says, We couldn't bear to look on Jesus in all his majesty, so he makes himself as vulnerable as he possibly can. He makes himself as small as he possibly can, so we won't be scared of him. He makes himself helpless and defenseless for us out of love into a little piece of bread, the form of a little piece of bread and a little sip of wine, so that you can receive divine life. Man, what a humble God we have. And the communion you have with Jesus, it's it's a co-union of becoming one flesh. Um, His flesh you receive into your your flesh. And you know, if, if Jesus were to appear to you right now, Theology of the Pub, October 2018, Jesus came down and, um, you know, held you and kissed you on the cheek and told you that he loved you and showed you heaven or whatever. That would not come close to what is going on at the Mass. It would not come close because at the Mass, when we receive the Eucharist, we're becoming one flesh, one flesh with him. I'm just going to end um, with a few quotes from from some saints. Um, St. Peter of Alcantara says, He comes to you with his hands filled with graces, but he gives his gifts in accordance with your confidence in him. Far out. (laughs) Man, like, yeah, just, I've certainly been to Mass before and just been so distracted, you know, or just kind of going through the motions. Um... We can receive the Eucharist and walk away with nothing. Like, we can be so um, just not present to what is going on. A friend of mine just shared with me, she always prays this prayer whenever she receives the Lord. You know, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Yeah, let's not go through the motions at Mass, you know. If we're not present, you know, mind, heart, soul, we may not be able to receive everything God has to give us. Um, I can't remember if this quote was from C.S. Lewis or Peter Kreeft, and I couldn't find it online, but I swear I read it in a book once. Um, you see, he talks about distraction, you know, and how we shouldn't get down on ourselves when we get distracted. Um, he says it's actually a form of pride to get down on ourselves when we're distracted, because who are we to think we wouldn't get distracted? We're human, it's normal, you know, um, we probably will, <laughs> I know I will get distracted one day again at that, you know, but... Yeah, just bring your mind back. Don't beat yourself up. Just remind yourself where you are. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. 
St. Augustine has a bang of a quote. <laughs> Although God is all-powerful, he is unable to give more. Though supremely wise, he knows not how to give more. Though vastly rich, he has nothing more to give. Because in the Eucharist, he's giving all of himself. St. John Bosco, this is a paraphrase of it, but he says, Do you want many graces? Then go to the Blessed Sacrament often. Do you want a few graces? Then go to the Blessed Sacrament rarely. Do you want no grace at all in your life? <laughs> then just don't go. Some of you may have heard um, this quote by um, J.R. Tolkien. You know, he's speaking about the Eucharist. He says, Out of the darkness of my life, so much frustrated, I put before you the one great thing to love on earth, the blessed sacrament. There you will find romance, glory, honor, fidelity, and the true way of all your loves on earth. I love that. This is where all of our loves should be, should be directed. I was looking up this quote because I was trying to find it online, um, and it turns out he, he was actually writing a letter to his son. And if you go on and read the letter, he says to his son, like, go to the churches, his words, with the babbling priest and the congregation who are falling asleep when the tabernacle is open. You know, go there because it, it's the same mass, you know. He says, go there and, and pray for those people. And I'm one of those people, you know. We can't exclude ourselves from that. We need prayers for ourselves and for our brothers and sisters to be attentive at the mass, to, to remind ourselves of where we are not to just go through the motions. How are you guys doing? Hungry yet? <laughs> Father, did you bring an altar and everything? <laughs> um, yeah, I might, I might finish with a bit of a song, but perhaps we'll just do a bit of a prayer first, if you don't mind joining me. And the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, we ask you for the grace to make us hungry. Make us hungry for you, Lord. Thank you, man. What an honor, Lord, that we get to not only come and be in your presence, but to receive you, to be in co-union with you at the Mass, Lord. Maybe each of us um, could just think in our head right now, if there's anyone in your life who you know maybe hasn't been to Mass in a long time, um, or perhaps there's someone you've been thinking about inviting, Maybe I can just be a bit cheeky and chuck out a bit of a challenge. Maybe we can, one day this week, maybe invite that person to Mass with us. Lord, would you bless that invitation, that it may be in a way that is not judgmental or overbearing. Maybe if anything tonight resonated with us, we could share that with them. Lord, we just thank you and um, just ask that you would pour out your blessings and graces um, on this community here, Lord. Um, please give us a hunger, a deeper hunger for you, Lord. And please help remind us, remind our distracted mind about what is going on in the Holy Mass. St. John Vianney, pray for us. Amen. Sweet. Um, so yeah, I might just end with a song. I was going to start with a song, but I didn't.
called Confirmed and Engraved. And um, yeah, the word's kind of like half from St. Faustina's journal, half from the Bible, half from just my brain. So it's really cool being a songwriter, you can just do that, I guess. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, the, the words of the chorus are, may I want holiness more than pleasure. Um, it's certainly a prayer I feel I need to pray every day, so I do like it. 